Amen. Good morning. My name's Ben, one of the pastors here at Hope. Today we're going to be in the book of uh, John. We're going to kind of be in different places as always, but John is the main spot, John 4. So if you've got a copy of the scriptures, you can turn or tap your way there. John the Gospel, chapter 4. So, just like good moms, really good worship pastors have this sixth sense. They kind of know what the preacher's preaching, even though I tell him almost nothing. Uh, and the song we just ended with perfectly says this sermon in one sentence. Jesus is better, make my heart believe. Jesus is better, I, I want to want that. He's reading that psalm, and that's what I'm praying. I'm like, Lord, I want to want you like that, desperate for you, like for water. <laughs> that's like exactly what we're preaching on today as we think about what it is to be a woman. Um, I'm glad that you asked me what it is to be a woman. I'm going to tell you all about it this morning. <laughs> no, we're continuing this series about God, men, women, sex, marriage, identity, gender, gender shifting, gender can you shift? What is it that God has given us with the gift of male and female? And today we're, we're going to jump into biblical definitions in a positive way of what it is to be a lady. And, and again, yeah, you're not asking me, well, Ben, what is your wisdom on femininity? I, yeah, I don't have any to give, but we are going to look at the scriptures, and that's, that is my job, is to live and breathe scriptures and to try and bring to you something from them. And if I'm understanding the conversation around this topic rightly, for our culture, the big problem isn't that the Bible says specific things, this, this specific thing or that specific thing about what it is to be a man or to be a woman. That, that is not really the biggest problem. I think culturally, the biggest problem is the, that the Bible says anything at all authoritatively to an individual. And if that's the case, well, uh-oh, we've got a much bigger thing, a much bigger topic to deal with than simply do I agree with point A, two about what the Bible says about femininity. The problem goes to a verse like Luke 9, where Jesus said, If anybody would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. This is one of those banner sort of verses for Christianity. You're getting in the door of Christianity. What is Christianity? You'll hear stuff like this. When I was growing up, when I heard a verse like this, the way I heard it, I heard it like an army ad. Do you have what it takes? And my insecurity, I'm like, heck yeah, I got what it takes. Let's do this. And I'm going to go prove myself as though what Jesus is saying is, Day one, do you have the maturity, the otherworldly, godlike qualities to be a martyr? If so, you might be the one we're looking for for Christianity. I, I, I saw it in my pride in my youth in that way. It's like 
This verse was telling me these are the kind of people we're looking for. We're looking for Christ-level self-sacrifice and otherworldly wisdom. Is that you? Then maybe you can be a Christian. That's how I heard it. But of course, that's not what it means. What it's saying instead is the opposite. It's saying, is your life so totally unrepairable that it needs to be remade? And by that, it doesn't just mean, is that you? Because the Bible would say that's everybody. It's more a question of, did you know that your life is so utterly unrepairable that you must be born again? If you can accept that gospel truth, then take this life and give it to me daily, and I will replace it with my life. That he would command, that he would offer, that he would give that as the gospel? Well, not that, that is offensive. He's asking me to give him who I am. Who I am, my life. And he's going to rewrite it at the DNA level. He's going to get in there and just change willy-nilly who I am. Well, yeah, that's a huge ask. Now you're talking about something completely different because in our culture, we embody and and we don't think of it this way, but the Bible describes it this way. But we embody that, that line from Milton where the devil says, it's better to reign in hell than to serve in heaven. That's what Jesus is offering us. He's offering us this life eternal with him as long as we'll admit that we're not him. And the enemy has rejected that choice and said, no, I will be God even if it's only over hell. Our culture says, I will decide who I am, no matter the results. God said, no, 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 I, I designed you, I've built you. This is the only way things are good. This is the only way things work in connection with me, as I've made you to be, and in connection with others, in this loving, self-sacrificial, serving way. And we say, no. That's the biblical view of it. Our cultural view of it is it makes a lot of sense. It's more like I've decided who I am. And when you tell me to change, you're not just saying, hey, stop doing that, please. Man, you're chomping your gum. It's a little bit loud. Can you just close your lips while you chew gum? Or just better yet, don't chew gum? And you can say, well, I'm going to do that or I'm not. But yeah, it's not as offensive just me asking you to change a little bit of your behavior. But if I ask you to change a little bit of your behavior that you identify as part of who you are, no, that's who I am as an American. That's who I am as a man. That's who I am as a father. Now, if I ask you to change that, ooh, it's not just a smack in the face. It's, it's like a smack in the soul. You're not just asking me to alter my behavior. You're asking me to cut off an arm. You're asking me to remove part of what is me. Now, if our culture really does say that, and I, I think that's what we're saying, 
when somebody confronts us about gender or identity or sexuality, we want, we want to rebel against it. And part of the reason we want to rebel against it is because we say, if you're trying to change that, you're actually trying to change who I am. And to that, Christ would say, exactly. If you're going to follow me, you have to die. Now, what I'm going to make you into, what I'm going to raise you into is a glory that you don't know yet, that it's a, a pleasure that you can't imagine. But you have to die. The only way to life, the horrible only way to life is to die. If you say that that's what Christianity is, then for me to highlight this one contentious but only one area, what is it to be a woman? Well, I think you should expect me to say something you're going to disagree with. To hear something from Scripture that if you accept it will mean that you're changing fundamentally who you are and how you think. Well, that's just what Christianity does. So as we dive in, I want to keep that mind set going. I want to keep that question going. How do I really submit to who he is calling me to be? How do I really give him my life and submit to death in order to receive life? Specifically in this place about what it is to be a man last week or a woman this week. Last week, I referenced a book called What's the Difference by a guy named John Piper, where he gives a definition from the Bible. Um, it's, it's from biblical material. It's not like a verse, but he, he gives a definition of masculinity and femininity, and then he spends a chapter kind of defining phrase by phrase. I'd ask you to read it if you want to. It's like 60 pages, but for the definition of woman, he says, or femininity, he says, at the heart of mature femininity is a freeing disposition to affirm receive, and nurture, strengthen leadership from worthy men in ways appropriate to a woman's differing relationships. Now, that's wordy. You don't really even understand it well enough to disagree with it. I get it. So like last week, I'm going to try and create a, a three-word sort of set of hooks for you to put the definition of biblical femininity on. Even though, with three words, it's a laughable attempt to take the glory of the sun and just put it into three words. I'm trying to define something in just three words that it's going to take not just a lifetime, but an eternity to plumb the depths of God's creativity and giving. So yeah, it's going to be a little short. But we'll describe it as well as we can. So where last week we said that something core to the identity of what it is to be a man biblically is to lead, to provide, and to protect. This week we'll say that something core level, foundational to what it is to be a woman biblically is to receive, support, and submit. And I'll go ahead and say those words, and I'll, I'll ask you to just have them in your head and let the weight of them hit you so that you understand in the fullness of what we're saying, you're going to have to live or die. But this is what I think the scriptures say 
God says about what it is to be a woman. If you want to argue with me, please do. Give me the honor of buying you a, a sandwich and hearing your thoughts on this. But make your argument from Scripture. That's what I'm attempting to do here. So, the setting for the story that we've got today in John 4, this woman at the well, we've talked about it a lot of times, but I want it in your soul. It is such a clear picture of the gospel and the gospel to people like us. The setting for this is Jesus is on doing his ministry. He's got his disciples with him, and he stops for a minute in Samaria. Uh-oh, that's outside of Israel. Usually they go way, people in Jerusalem go way outside of their way. If they've got to go north, to get around Samaria because it's just not a place they wanted to be. They hated the people of Samaria, lots of reasons. But in Samaria, Jesus takes the shortcut and goes through. And it's the middle of the day. His disciples have gone to get some food in a nearby town. And Jesus is sitting by a well that Jacob dug once upon a time. And a lady in the middle of the day comes to draw water. Now, why would you draw water in the heat of the day? This wasn't a water fountain it was a well. It wasn't like, oh, it's hot. It makes sense to go to a water fountain. This was a well. When it was hot, it did not make sense to go. You would go in the cool of the day, early in the morning preferably, so that you had water for your family for the day. Why is this lady going at noon? Because sometimes it's more endurable to be in the hot than to watch the shameful burning glances of judgmental people. This lady was going in the middle of the day so she could go by herself. And that lady runs into Jesus. Kind of a crazy meeting. Just going to the well and meet the Son of God. <laughs> but he, she walks up and he, he says, lady, give me, give me a little drink. Can I have some water? Give me some water. And she says, you're asking me, a Samaritan? You, a Jew, are asking me, a Samaritan, Jesus answers. We'll pick up in verse 10. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where did you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. We can jump in there and dig in. There's all kinds of interesting stuff about her calling Jacob her dad. But then Jesus says to her, everyone who drinks of this water is going to be thirsty again, just like every water everywhere. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. Something miraculous here. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. And the woman said, well, give me that water so that I don't have to be thirsty and come here to draw water. Sort of a no-duh type answer. Oh, okay, you got some kind of miracle water? Yeah, give me your miracle water. <laughs> That's how I imagine her saying it, probably not with that accent. But, like, there's some level of, you know poking him a little bit. Okay, do your miracle. So Jesus responds. And this seems like a crazy left turn until you understand the gospel, but Jesus responds, go call your husband and come here. Now he's not saying, I would prefer to speak to a man. I don't want to worry myself with lady troubles. Let go get your husband, young lady. 
He's already talked to this lady. He's already engaged her on theological matters. He's already there to reach this lady. He's already dignified her as an equal. So what is he saying about this husband business? Well, this lady, her life and her brokenness is defined by her relationship to men. The woman answered Jesus, I have no husband. And Jesus looks right at her and says, You're right in saying I have no husband, for you've had five, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Now, is Jesus saying this to gloat over her? Pour a little salt in her very obvious, shameful wound? Or is he trying to say the life that you have is broken? Let me give you a better one. Based on what he's already taught her about this living water versus water of the well, he's clearly trying to say to her, listen, what you've got is broken. Let me give you life, real, filling life. Will she? He wants to give her life abundantly. It says in John 10, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. The my way, my kingdom, better to serve in hell than reign in heaven. That's a lie, and it is going to kill you and destroy you. But Christ says, I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. I'm a good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He's saying, listen, if you, want, if you want the life that I have to give you, you have to give up the life that you have. And you get this in other ways. If I was to say, I have a clean set of clothing for you, you, you do, though, have to remove your dirty set of clothing. If you put my clean clothes on top of your dirty clothes, you're still in filth. If I say to you, hey, I've got a feast, a magnificent feast, you have to stop eating out of a garbage can to come and eat the feast. What does it do if I take the feast and put it in the garbage can for you? Well, it's just become garbage. We have a long conversation about this, me and my wife. There was a, a Seinfeld moment where she was willing to eat a cookie that had only just gone into the garbage, and it was still in a wrapper, and it was still fresh, and it hadn't been like... But garbage adjacent is garbage. <laughs> Once it has touched garbage, it has become garbage. You, there's no redemption for it. If, if the food is clean and it's on the table, it's food. So I'm saying you have to walk away. You have to walk away from what is and come to what he's offering. He's got this living water, but you've got to stop drinking out of the gutter to come and get this clean living water. You must lose your life to gain it. So, what does God say is the good water when it comes to being a lady? First, the scripture is very clear. He's created and he sees God. And then God brings animals. And then he brings Eve. What's happening? He's seeing God who is above him. He's seeing animals who are below him. And they're funny, and they're brilliant, and they're interesting, and he names them, but they're not him. 
And then he gives him Eve. And what does he say? This at last is flesh of my flesh. This is me. Equality in person. And yet, not himself. It's not Adam and Adam. And they go around like bros and just go and build stuff. It's Adam and then Eve, like and yet unlike, dignified with the full name and glory of what it is to be human, co-inheritor of God's mantle as an image bearer and essential to that name, yet distinct from man. Jesus holds that same posture, that same position of the woman as dignified and yet distinct, dignified. In Luke 13, they have Jesus on a Sabbath in front of the Pharisees healing a woman who's been stooped over for 18 years. And he heals them right, He heals her right there in front of everybody. And they're watching to see if he'll do it on the Sabbath because they consider healing for some reason a work. It's a breaking of the law, one of the Ten Commandments. If he does it, he's a false teacher. And he's looking him in the eye and he, he heals the woman. He lays a hand on her, whoop, and her back works again. She's no longer stooped over by this evil spirit. And he looks at him and he says, you hypocrites, doesn't each one of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it to water it? And ought not this woman, greater than the animals, a daughter of Abraham, co-inheritor of all the redemptive covenantal promises of God throughout the whole of the scriptures, whom Satan bound for 18 years, ought not she be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? What's he saying? Woman equal, dignified, and yet distinct. When Jesus goes about his ministry, how many of the disciples are ladies? Well, none. Why? Something about that ministry was for men to do. It was a different ministry than the ministry that ladies had. The women were with Jesus. They were followers of Jesus. They were helpful to, supporting of, helpers suitable for. And yet they're distinct. You go back to the creation and you see, not just in the creation in the way that they're described positively, but even negatively. When God curses Adam and Eve, he curses them in different ways. To the man, he curses his ability to provide. From the sweat of your brow and the blood of your brow, you're going to bring forth fruit from the ground, food from the ground. But what does he curse about the lady? Her ability to, to bring children forth, to support the work of the family. Saying equal in significance, in dignity, and yet distinct in design and designation. One of the ways I was thinking about it, and this is me putting on airs a little bit and being poetic, is that a stone is different from a vine. A stone is different from a vine. I can use a stone and I can build a wall with it, and it'll be a strong, hard wall that will protect. But I'll use it to protect a lovely vine. Something with an elegant grace that produces a fruit that we all want and need. The thing to be protected. The thing worthy of protection. In very oppressive cultures, women are not equally human. 
They're definitely distinct, but they're distinct as a class to be oppressed. That's why I call them oppressive cultures. In cultures that are modern, where you have all the gender theory kind of stuff that's going on right now, yeah, women are certainly human, but they're no longer women. You can't be distinct and dignified unless you get Scripture, where it says we are, we are going to dignify all people worthy of dignity and respect, yet distinct from. So, some of these words that are distinct about ladies. One would be to receive. Last week from Ephesians 5, we talked about how the relationship between a man and his wife is governed by the relationship between Christ and the church. Men are going to lead their wives when they lead them by service, the kind of service that Christ is offering for us. Just got to remember that when he says, take up your cross to follow me, it's because he's also carrying a cross. When he talks about a living water, he's referring to the wine of his blood, which will be shed for her. Men are supposed to give, serve as they lead their wives just as Christ did for the church. So much of the time when I sit down with somebody or sit down even in my own heart to try and counsel, one of the first battles is to say, let's go to the Psalms, let's go to the description of the gospel in the New Testament, and let's describe what you do and what God does. And the reason I want to do that is I want to give them hope. And how do you do that? You give, you give them hope by seeing that God is accomplishing all of this stuff for you. Yeah, he lays out good works for us to go and do. Yes, you're going to put your whole life into kingdom building. But when it comes to being his, he does that for you. And he did it at great expense, giving his own life to get you. No, you're not a servant who receives orders. You are becoming now like a queen who receives gifts, even the lives of her servants. Something precious, something to be revered and guarded, even doted upon. Can you receive, can you allow a man to open a door for you? I know that's hokey, but I grew up in a place where this lady... <laughs> The church I was going to, there's the, the doors, you know, and we're going to walk in, and I'm walking in, I'm getting a little late or what, but it's just me and this lady who's mom of some of the ladies that are in, like, youth group with me. And we're walking up, and I'm talking to her, and believe it or not, I'm talking, and, and we're getting up to the door, and she just stops. She's holding, like, a purse or something. I'm going to use my miming. She just stops and waits for me to open the door. Now, I hope that I would have tried to do that anyway, but she was making a very clear point that stuck with me to this day. That's not for me to do, son. That's for you to do. And I did. And she's right. Did that lower her in who she is, or did that add value to her in who she is? To receive, to support 
if you go through Scripture and try to define what it is to be a lady, there is no way around God's description of women within the relationships that he's given them to be supports. If you go to Proverbs 31, one of the most famous places where you get a description of just like this great lady, King Lemuel's mom is telling him who to look for, who to try and marry. And he chooses or wants to choose somebody who uses her unbelievable intelligence, skill, savvy, work ethic in order to support, provide for, and care for her children and household, her husband even. And that woman is more precious than jewels. And it's not because she's stupid and it's not because she can't. It's because she can that she supports. You go through Scripture and find Nabal's wife in the time of David. You find the, this woman here in this story about uh, Jesus and the woman with, uh, and the Samaritan woman. As soon as he's done talking to her, she goes and continues his ministry by going and telling the town what Jesus has done for her. You have this beauty displayed. It says in Proverbs 31, 10 and 11, an excellent wife who can find? She's far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. So you can make an argument to me from Scripture about why I'm wrong about this word, please. Or take a moment to ask, why is it difficult to accept this? Is it because you've got these biblical arguments about why my exegesis is wrong? Please. Or is it because you'd rather choose for yourself what it is to be you? When we come to the third word, it's going to be a short point because I've been making it the whole sermon. This word, submit, we'll talk next week about marriage and the specific way it kind of gets played out there. But more generally, can you submit to Christ? So then John 4, 25 and 26, the end of this conversation between Jesus and this lady, the lady says to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He was called the Christ. And when he comes, he's going to tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. He says to her, I'm the one who's going to tell you all things. I'm going to tell you what life is. I'm going to tell you where this living water can be found. Men and women, this isn't just a women thing. Men and women. Are you living with his life? Have you chosen to give him everything? Not because you're so perfect that you have the the self-control and moral constancy to actually give him everything, but because you've committed to saying, you are my Lord and I'm your servant. Is that you? Listen, that's the sermon. That's, that's it. There's no more barbs to throw at ladies. It's just those words in the hope that we will say to God, your way, not mine. Will you say that? When it comes to how you actually live that out in the totality of what it is to be a woman, it's going to be way more than just three words. And you need to be plugged into a community where you can see living examples of this. I praise God that my very good wife is able to look at even greater examples of what this is. Not because I see all this lack in her, but because I know that God's got so much more for us. But the stumbling block, the door shuts as soon as you say to God, 
but yet, Lord, my will be done. As soon as you lay that down, then you open up onto all of this life he has for you. Will you? Let's pray. Lord God and Heavenly Father, I ask right now that by your grace, you would allow us to see ourselves as we are and see your gospel as it is. See this good gift that you've promised us, the life that you've promised us in you. Lord, I ask that just by your kindness, your spirit would bring the the truth of your gospel into our hearts. And as we are um, able to lay down our pride and to give you our lives, we would be able to see more and more these pictures that you give us of what true life looks like. Sure in gender, sure in relationships, but also, Father, in everything. That your name might be praised by the goodness you give to your people. Pray these things in your son's holy name. Amen.